We're so glad you're here this morning, excited to be in God's Word together, continuing to work through the book of Acts. I I don't do this very often, but I wanted to take a a second just to acknowledge somebody that's a guest here this morning. In fact, I almost never do that, but I thought this was noteworthy. Uh, Mr. Bernie May is here, and you may or may not recognize that name. He was the president of Wycliffe Bible uh, Translation from 1980 to 1992, and then started the Seed Company, which has done a ton to translate God's Word into languages all around the world. And so we're excited to have Bernie here, just a blessing. I was told he was friends with Bob Burroughs for the last 65 years. And so that's awesome that he was one when he met Bob. And uh, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) but excited to have him here. Well, we're uh, in God's Word this morning, as I mentioned, working through the book of Acts and just story by story, a just wonderful accountant. This last week, I, I got thinking just as far as ministry goes. I've now, this month is my 20th year in vocational ministry, which is kind of fun to think how fast that's passed. You don't have to clap for that, but that was kind of a fun thing reminiscing. As I was thinking back over the, the years and working in, in church world, I would say it's a, been a, a lot of things, but the one thing I would never say working in vocational ministry is that I'd never say it's boring. Like There's been more moments of, wow, I didn't see that coming in my 20 years than I could ever imagine. A lot of those I get an opportunity to, to share with you, but probably a lot more are more confidential and I don't get to share with you. One was interesting. I'll share an example this week, and this is all getting somewhere, I hope. But the one I'll share from you this week is I I got a letter in the mail, and it was from an inmate in the state of uh, Nevada uh, who was sending me a request letter. And he had in it, inside the letter, he had a check form for me ordering him a number of treats to have sent to the prison. So he got, I've never met this man, and he was very specific on the treats that he wanted from me, some chocolate frosted flakes. I didn't even know that they made chocolate frosted flakes. A lot of Boston cream honey buns were important to this gentleman. So I was real close. I was tempted to be like, all right, let's send this guy some honey buns, you know, and get those in the mail. And so I said lots of, I didn't see that coming, but then I decided, you know what, I should probably check and see why this gentleman is in prison. And I looked online and saw that he was in there for murder. So I decided I'd maybe start with the gospel message first, uh, a note before the honey buns. But my point being is whenever you're engaging in the world around, we shouldn't be shocked with the things that we encounter. We shouldn't be shocked with the degree of darkness, the surprises, the wow, I didn't see that coming moments when you're on mission, when you're being bold and going out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm sure Bernie could share a ton of stories with you on that. You can pin them down afterwards to tell you some. But anyway, the idea here is that we shouldn't be shocked by the unexpected when darkness is being broken through. And this is the account of the early church Finally, they've broken out of Jerusalem. They're going into Samaria and to the ends of the earth, and things are getting a little bit hairy, if you will. The encounters that they begin to have shouldn't shock us as we read about them, and I imagine for them was a little bit of a wow, didn't see that expecting. As the gospel collided with existing false beliefs, as it confronts false motives, they're not shocked by anything. Let me pray before we explore this passage. God, we invite you to speak to us through your word, and we're very clear this morning that 
with taking risks, there comes also the reality that there's so many people that are desperately lost without you, so confused, so wanting change, but not sure how to get there. I just pray that this might be even a message that stirs up our passion and our heart and willingness to break into the darkness with your love and grace. We ask now that you'd speak to us directly from your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. So if you wouldn't mind turning uh, to Acts chapter 8, we love looking at the word together. We're starting in verse 9 here. And as I mentioned last week, this is the church starting to expand beyond Jerusalem. Last week, we told the account of Philip taking a bold risk in speaking to the the group in Samaria, an unreached uh, people group to date with the gospel. And at first, it described it as a joy that was in the city as he was healing people and bringing the gospel message. We're picking up in the story in verse 9. It says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Stop there for a second just to to walk through that. The first thing you notice is the the word that it starts with, but there was a man named Simon. And really any encounter that we have breaking into the world, you're going to realize that there's some background and some history that people have experienced of people encountering false truths. So we learn a little bit about Simon, and this is definitely one of those probably didn't see it coming experiences, that he had been practicing magic in that area. I'm guessing uh, the magic wasn't pick a card, any card. You know, I imagine this was, this was more of a magic like supernatural where the demonic presence was there and moving and doing things that people couldn't explain. So the interesting thing about his magic is it was all attached to self-glorification. What does it say in the text that he wanted to be known as? Great. Can you imagine finishing your uh, magic tricks and being like, uh, and if you don't mind just referring to me as great, that would be great. And so, so they, they, they chose to, they actually bought into this. It says from the least to the greatest, they bought into this. And they were, they were calling him great. It says this man, they came to this conclusion. They said, this man is the power of God that is called great. Isn't that fascinating to think that, that it only took a little glimpse of the supernatural for them to buy in hook, line, and sinker and come to that conclusion. And for us, the wonderful reminder is just because you see a glimpse of the supernatural doesn't mean that it's necessarily of God, Right? Satan has a presence and a power here as he's the king of this earth to to do things that blow people's minds, but it's a false presentation. Well, they had bought into that, and so this is the background that they've been distracted by, that Philip is showing up with the truth. Take a look and see how they respond then to the truth. It says, verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Love this account. It's so much packed into that little section there. But what one observation that I make is how we have a, a tendency to get excited about things that are 
kind of not quite real, but when you're introduced to the real thing, all of a sudden the fake thing looks kind of lame. Anybody notice that tendency in your life? I have joked about this before. I grew up being a huge car fan. And somewhere in the 80s, actually 1984, we were introduced to a car called the Fiero. Here, do you, anybody remember the Fiero? So here's, here's a picture of one. And Fiero sounds a whole lot like another car called a Ferrari, Fiero Ferrari. The difference was about $70,000 in pricing. And so the Fiero, when you first saw it, here's one that's actually been fixed up to look like a, a Ferrari. It actually even has the horse on the side. And so you'd see those and you'd come across one and you'd be like, that's kind of cool. It's kind of attractive. But then when you'd see the real thing, you're kind of like, oh man, there's no substitute for the real Ferrari. Like the, all of a sudden, the, the lame Fiero had to go because the real had arrived. And really, when you're, okay, maybe I'm stretching this, but here's the idea Simon the Fiero, Philip the Ferrari. You know, Simon had presented some magic, some stuff that was like, oh, that it caused them, it says in the text, that they paid attention. But you see, when the real deal came, when the, the introduction of Jesus, the name of Jesus, the kingdom of God arriving, when the truth was finally presented, it was irresistible. And that's what I want us to realize is the message that we herald, the message that we hold is one that's irresistible to the world around us. And they see right past often the lame and go straight to the real. You see in the, in the text that it says that they believed, it says, but they believed Philip as he preached the good news. That's the big gap of difference. There's one thing to get people to pay attention. It's another thing to believe. The belief part is the, the stepping in, the choice to, to dive in and fully embrace what was presented. I think as we personalize that to present day, how many people are kind of in the season where they're paying attention, they've been attracted to the whole Jesus thing, but they've never stepped in in belief. Well, in that day, this is an entire group of people. We don't know exactly how many people were there. Back in verse 6, we were told that the crowds came to hear. So it's literally a large amount of Samaritans that embraced, believed, and we're told then that they're also baptized. Baptism is an outward expression of an inward decision. So it's a, a, the idea that they believed in their heart and then they expressed it through baptism, a beautiful thing. And what do you notice in the, that section? Who's one of the people that fell in that category of believing? This is a test. Simon, nice. There we go. A couple people read it. That's great. So, so Simon, Simon, of all the people to believe, usually the best litmus test of the real thing is somebody that's real familiar with faking it, right? All of a sudden, when, the, when they see something that's real, they're drawn to it like a magnet. So Simon, talk about a, a testament to the validity of God's word and what was happening was the fact that he believed it. How many of you watched a, a TV show that a, a former counterfeiter is taken because they're the best at exposing fate when something's fake, right? Because they've made fake stuff. They, they get it. So here in the, the text, this counterfeit, Simon, says that he believed. Now, a lot of commentaries would propose that this was a, a false belief, that he wasn't a, a genuine believer. I'm not quite sure what to do with that. All I know is what the, the text says, says that he, was, that he believed and was baptized and then went on to follow Philip. 
We don't, we don't know exactly. I've just got to take the word at its literal sense there. And this idea for us is a great reminder for us that we're not, thankfully, the ones that judge and determine somebody's salvation. Thankfully, only God is responsible for that. Anybody else glad you're not the one determining that? So God is entrusted with that responsibility. He sends then, take a look, the word gets back, the word gets back to Jerusalem about what's happening in there. It says, verse 14, Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For they had not yet fallen, he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. This idea here is that the good news that this, this completely new people group had embraced Jesus Christ makes it back to the home base in Jerusalem. The home church in Jerusalem, the apostles, had been entrusted. Part of their responsibility as the, as the gospel is going out, as it's progressing, is for them to assess the authenticity of those who are believing. So this was a big deal. This was a, an important thing. They had to come and see for themselves. Anybody else notice that in your own life? That you have to, a lot of times you have to taste and see, you have to sample something for yourself before you know if it's true or real or authentic. And so that's, that's true uh, even with uh, this thing that my kids have introduced me to. I don't know if some of you uh, parents of younger kids have seen this. Have you seen these jelly beans called Bean Boozled? Have you guys heard of those before? Bean Boozled. The idea is all of them look the same. They look like all great jelly beans. You have the, the blue one that, that's supposed to be berry, but if you pick the wrong one, it tastes like toothpaste, and it gets worse. Coconut tastes like what? Baby wipes. Like, how does somebody even know what a baby wipe tastes like? I'm not clear on that. You see, this is the big thing for kids to try this, and they get surprised with how bad they taste. The problem in my mind is the payoff isn't worth the risk. You know what I mean? You're like, uh, either I get skunk spray or licorice. Both, in my mind, are a lose. And, uh, and so but here, here, here's the, the idea that, I, I just bring that up for fun. The, the idea, the idea that, that we're getting at is they didn't know until they came and literally saw with their own eyes to the, determine the authenticity of these, the, these decisions for Christ. This was huge. This Samaritan group of people had up until now, they had their own temple. They had their own false priests. They had their own misunderstandings of the Old Testament. They needed some sort of confirmation, and so the apostles are coming to come to that conclusion. Sometimes it's, it's thought like, wait a second, why was there de the delay from the point of their belief to when the Holy Spirit came upon them? This was, a, this, this was a special exception, not the norm, I would suggest. It was important for a number of reasons. First, they wanted the, the, the Samaritans to recognize there had been huge divide between Samaritans and Jews. I mentioned last week, they wanted to recognize that they're all part of the same church, all part of this church. If it was independent, they would have gone on kind of doing their own thing separate by coming and uniting them with the church in Jerusalem that was key, so it was a uniting factor. It also was important, if you think about it for a moment, it's also important for the apostles to see that the Samaritan Christians weren't second-class citizens. 
This was literally happening that they had embraced Christ and received the Holy Spirit in the same way that they had in Acts 2. So both of these being uniting factors, as the same as Jesus has prayed for one church, united under his name. So they come, a lot would suggest that that's a a validation for uh, the Holy Spirit coming independent from salvation. I would suggest that this wasn't the normative. It's actually pointed three times in Acts with different new people groups. Acts 2, the first church in Jerusalem. Here in Acts 8, the, the, I'm sorry, in Acts 8 then, the Samaritans at their conversion. And then again in Acts 10, we're going to see in a few chapters with new Gentile believers. All of which pointing towards the Holy Spirit coming and setting up camp, residing in these new believers. This was a very exciting time. Imagine as Simon is watching, he's just blown away with everything he's looking at. Take a look in verse 18. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Kind of a, a, a tricky section there, as you imagine Simon who's gotten pretty accustomed to being the man, the great man, if you will. All of a sudden, he sees this this new show in town, and he's like, man, I want a piece of this. I want the ability to be able to to, to lay hands and be able to give somebody the Holy Spirit. And so what does he offer? What do you see there? He tries to buy something that's free. He tries to, to offer money for magicians in that day and age. It wasn't uncommon to buy different magic tricks. That was the, the norm. And so he's confused. And a lot would say this is more validation that this wasn't a genuine new believer. I would suggest there's kind of two camps of understanding this. One of two you can kind of land on. One, it's a false conversion with the, the idea of Simon. Two, and this is what I lean towards, is that Simon was a young believer that didn't have it all figured out yet. Anybody else come across a young believer that doesn't have it all figured out quite yet? Some, some, some of the times when you're around a new believer, they say and do the craziest things. You just find yourself kind of rolling your eyes. Anybody have this experience with somebody that's newer to the faith? It's funny, um, I was talking to my sister uh, recently who's also in ministry in, in Denver, and she was telling me about a, a guy from India that recently embraced Christ that was a friend of hers. And uh, she was explaining that, oh, this, this is your first Christmas. You should spend some time reading the Christmas story. Well, he was thrilled to read about Christ for the first time himself and celebrating Christmas. And as he was reading through the account, she, he, she said she call, he called him this, just a little bit confused and said, Kathleen, Kathleen, and I, I would do a good accent there, but I can't. Uh, but, but it was explaining, he's like, I understand. I understand the shepherds. I understand Joseph and, and Mary, but who's Maggie who's the magi in the story, and, uh, and so trying to piece that, that together was a little bit confusing. Or my, or my best friend Joe, when he first came to Christ, he, he'd read in the Bible for the ver- very first time when he was asked about feedback. He's like, I love it. And I said, he said, I love that somebody chose to highlight all the best words in red. So he, he, he liked that, that, that Jesus, anyway, you get it. Uh, but, but this idea, when you spend time with a new believer, The expectation, and this is important for us to grasp, the expectation when we're engaging with different people at different places with their faith shouldn't be that they're immediately spiritually mature. 
Sometimes I think we think that like once you embrace Christ, you're, you've just arrived. Like, are you kidding me? It's a process of letting go and ridding the, ourselves of the old and taking on the new. You see, we're, we're given a moment-by-moment moment choice as whether we're walking in the old flesh or in the new, but being led by the Spirit. We studied Romans a couple years ago. Romans 6.12 tells us this, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. This idea of it o- obeying, we have a choice as to which we're obeying, kind of the old flesh or obeying the Spirit who's new and leading in our lives. Here, I would suggest that Simon is, what do you think he's doing? Who's, who's, who's driving the ship? The old flesh. The old flesh. I imagine he'd gotten accustomed being the, the man, the, the great, the one that people are coming to. And so he's proposing, man, I'd like to stay in that position, leaning into the flesh. How do you guys think Peter is going to respond to that? Do you think he's like, all right, how much cash you got? No, let's take a look. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift, something that's free, of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in a gall of bitterness and in the bond of of iniquity. Pretty intense words there. And I, I, I find it interesting. Peter's just being consistent with his bold and direct self. And he says some pretty direct things. May your silver perish with you. Not exactly the, the kindest wish that you might wish for somebody. But if you think about it for a moment, probably the best gift he could give this new believer. Sometimes we misunderstand the church being something that's just here to cheer us on and to encourage us and, and, and say, yeah, yeah, you're doing great. But sometimes, and this is important, listen, listen to this, sometimes the church needs to call us out on our junk and say, you're missing it. You're, you're off base. You've wandered. You're, 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 you have the, the wrong motivation because sometimes we're blinded even to our motivations. Sometimes we're confused at what should compel us. And so Peter, I would suggest, was a gift to Simon to say, listen, your heart is off track here. Your, 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 your bitterness, the, the idea of hoping for something that's not yours is your motivator here. You need to, what does it tell him to do? You need to repent. You need to, you need to get your heart straight. You need to get back on track. This is, this is foolish for us as a church, one of the, the, the greater benefits of us engaging in church and being around other believers is not for us to just have pancakes and hang out together. It's for us to nudge each other, to call us out. We need that in our lives, and that's what Peter is offering Simon here, is calling him out. He says something interesting when he charges him to repent. He says, he says if possible... Will be forgiven. First to read that, I was like, wait a second, I thought repent always led to forgiveness. But I don't know if he was fresh off of the Ananias and Sapphira scene or what, because sometimes God chooses to say, uh, you don't have a chance to repent. There's, a, there, there's an immediate consequence to your actions. Either way, we don't know exactly the intent of Peter in that explanation. But for us, the takeaway is the one road back after we've blown it 
is repentance. What is repentance? The idea of acknowledging, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done this. I, I, I've blown it. And even not just with God, even relationally, right? Those of you that are married, have you noticed that? The one way back, dear, talking to your spouse, man, I, I, I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. Will you forgive me? Here's what I'm going to do different moving forward. That goes a long way rather than excuses. So the question is, how will Simon respond? Is this going to be a, a glorious moment or not? Take a look at verse 24. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord that nothing, nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So, in that response, it's kind of tricky. I have a, a hard time reading into that, how he's responding. I, I, it's clear that he's afraid of what, what Peter suggested. It, it's clear that he's wanting to avoid consequence, right? He doesn't exactly do what Peter had suggested. You don't see him repenting before God. He's just asking for a, a way out from the consequences. We don't really know. Here's my, my observation from that. Stories, as you're engaging in the world of darkness, don't always have a nice clear bow on them, perfectly packaged, and they join the handbell choir. Like, it doesn't always happen like that. Sometimes it's left with, I don't know. I don't know what happened to Simon. We don't know exactly his story. You know that he heard the truth. He was presented to it. He, he embraced it. We don't know if he was the story of the, the seed that got stifled by the world around him. We don't, we don't know the end of his story. But what we do know is how the response of the apostles, what does it say that they do? They keep on trucking. They keep on proclaiming Jesus Christ. They keep on engaging, going from city to city. And I love that as just we try to personalize this. As we're engaging the world around us, man, we can't be thwarted by our first I don't know story. I don't know if he's there. What's going to happen with them? I don't know. I don't know how that's going to play out. We have to keep pressing on for the goal of advancing the gospel. I would suggest there's a ton of takeaways for this. One of those is that, pressing on, keeping on with the gospel, keep fervently preaching. A couple others are this, that we saw in the text. Boldness tends to yield fruit. I got I to gotta say tends to because you can probably think of a story where you may, maybe were bold with the gospel and it didn't bear fruit. But I would say the trend that we see in the book of Acts is what? When they take a risk. They step out on faith. They proclaim Jesus Christ. People respond. The gospel that we hold and carry, understand this, folks, is irresistible. It's the real thing. It's the Ferrari. It's not, a, it's not an imitation. It's what people are desperately in need of. And for us, too, the other thing which is actually weight off of our back is you don't have to determine you're not the one judging someone's salvation. You can present the truth, love people, serve them, extend it, and let God do what he's going to do. Let him worry about how the story concludes. The big idea that I take away is this, too. Don't be surprised by anything. Expect the unexpected, because there's going to be, as you're engaging in the world around you, lots of, wow, I didn't see that coming moments. Let me pray as we wrap up. God, I thank you so much for this story and this account 
of Simon, who, as Chad mentioned even earlier, didn't quite get it, thought that something that was being offered came at a price. I thank you for what we've even learned recently, that it's not a, a, a tenant relationship with you. It's a father relationship. It's not something we have to pay for. It's something that's given for free. We praise you for that reality. I pray for us just as we're making the choice even in 2018 to up our game a little bit on the risk factor, a little bit on the boldness factor, God, that you would go before us, that you'd pave the way, you provide opportunities for people to engage and hear the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you again for your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.